Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am with Martin Redo Willis. Repeat Willis. Redo is my middle name. Because this is a redo. We had to redo the opening from this morning. And, you know, we're an open book here, so we tell our listeners everything that's going on. And not only that, you know, we're off the cuff. So this is going to be totally different than what we did this morning because it's it's live. It's all about right now. I feel different now. I've had more coffee. I've had to work with a, a this guy on the phone who a very nice guy, but you know my my system wasn't working, so I'm a little bit more ornery now uh, than I was earlier. Yeah, I like the fact that I you know neither one of us do any editing on either one of our shows. We just kind of let it go. Yeah, let it fly. I mean that's what's fun. I mean I. I Mine isn't live like yours, but at least it feels live because I'm recording live. And and as you pointed out to me earlier this morning, you even listened to one of my shows where I said, I'm going to have to edit this part out. And, and I didn't. I forgot to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is really keeping it real. So, And it's funny because the episode you think it might be is one where I had a few of those, and I thought I got them all, but I maybe I didn't. But uh, uh, oh well, I think you heard once where you said something, and you were like, "Oh, could you edit that out?" And I was like, "Sure," and then I forgot to. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, that was very nice of you. Although yeah. there's been at least once where you said, "Could you edit that out?" and I didn't edit it out on purpose. I, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> Just to mess with Very you. Very kind of you, yeah. And I thought it was something funny or something, so I left it. Pretty good, huh? Pretty cool. Mm. The guest, yes, is Bryce Zabel. So this is exciting. He's one of the speakers at the International UFO Congress, which is coming up in a week. Holy moly. Uh, it actually starts in a week from now. We'll be hauling stuff, and right about now I'll be putting up pipe and drape hooking up computers and working hard to get everything going. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, one of the speakers is Bryce Zabel, who I'm very excited about because he's super cool. He's a good buddy now. And he is like Mr. Hollywood. The list of stuff he's done is amazing. It's exhausting just to read it all, and you couldn't read it all. It'd take you days to read everything he's done. But not just in Hollywood, but his career prior to that. So... In Hollywood, some of the things he's done writing and producing are Lois and Clark and Taken, he wrote for. If you haven't seen Spielberg's Taken, you got to see it. Have you seen it? 
No, I haven't. Yeah, and see, this is a miniseries that is essentially uh, all about Spielberg's kind of ideas or, or at least research into UFOs and ufology, and it really covers kind of the mythologies and, and legends that are going out there. And actually, Bryce Abel uh, was an inspiration for the show because Bryce mm. had a show on NBC called Dark Skies, which was kind of NBC's answer to the X-Files, but Dark Skies was more based on uh, actual mythology the mythos out there as well like uh, mj12 and everything was at the center of it uh he also has produced like the tv show the crow he's written for a lot of stuff he's got these movies that are filming right now um his latest film the last battle is based on a new york times bestseller and that's gonna that's being shot in europe like sometime this year real soon here but he also was the chairman and CEO of the Television Academy. Those are the people who give away the Emmys. So he literally, hey. he, you know, and he goes to the Emmys. So he hangs out with all the stars. He was a uh, CNN correspondent in a past life, also a, uh, wow. a professor of screenwriting, um, adjunct professor at the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Art. So this guy's, yeah, just all over the place and he's got a couple of ufo movies he's working on um and i uh, and other things that we'll talk about including he just uh ran into dan Aykroyd and got to geek out do some ufo geeking out uh uh with him and he had some interesting conversation there so yeah lots of really cool wow. stuff great stuff he sounds like a amazing guy he is amaze balls you know what, uh, Amazeballs, I, I've been using that because, you know, I saw the commercial. There's this commercial where they use that term and everything. and uh, But I I tried to use that hashtag the other day, and there was no hashtag for Amazeballs. Wow, it's yours. Yeah. Well, I thought that, well, you know, I was trying to use a popular hashtag for amazing, oh. and I thought that would be one, but it wasn't, unfortunately. Well, you got to coin and create. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got the power, man. Speaking of amazing, we have an amazing UFO news guy with us. Do you know who that is? Not yet. That's you. Nope. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. So Very nice of you. Uh, yeah, because we usually have you on to talk some UFO news, and um, and I assume that you have something prepared that you would like to speak about today. Well, uh, doggone it, I do, actually. <laughs> and um, it's about, actually, it was written by, I really like the article a lot. It was written huh. by your upcoming uh, guest out there in Phoenix, uh, Cheryl Costa. Mm. Um, I've had her on the show before, but this is an article she wrote, um, and it's in the Syrac- Syracuse New Times uh, that she writes for often, um, has a ongoing you know articles on the topic there that are very, very good. So this one is basically titled UFOs, It's Time to Reveal the Truth. And she goes into talking about, you know, documents that were released last January, the 35,000 the CIA released. And in that clearly shows, you know, the investigation of UFOs, um, which we, you know, we more or less knew when the different projects came along. Um, But then she talks about the December 16th, you know, New York Times article that we often bring up as, you know, the groundbreaking story that changed things. Um, so she talks about that, and she she basically says, you know, no one panicked, like in the Orson Welles, you know, 1938 production of War of the Worlds when people jumped out of windows and did all kinds of crazy stuff. No one really panicked. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of the skeptics, um, you know, were focusing on, well, the Pentagon spent $22 million. Well, and then she goes into what is $22 million? And basically that it's a pittance compared to, say, another threat that our current administration is considering the threat uh, and putting up a wall on the border of Mexico that's $30 billion compared to $22 million. And again, over uh, five years. Um, um, when we had talked before, I think we mentioned that um, Luis Elizondo was on the I, uh, what is it called? You know, with with uh, George Knapp. I-Team with George yeah, Knapp. I-team. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, you know, he... he it, he's sort of hinting that you know this, this is still going on in some in some manner. I, you know, I'd be really interested to know about that if they're actually, you know, funding it. I really think they should. You know, I hope they do. You know, and I just hope they don't. Um, you know, they just don't stop uh, looking into this. And you know, that's kind of what her article is about. You know, she says at the end we need the president to stop. <laughs> well, I don't know what people are going to think about this. Need the president to stop tweeting and order his secretary of defense to demand a full and open briefing from all the acknowledged special access groups in the Pentagon and let the chips fall where they may. The people demand nothing less. That's how she ends the article. Hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, that's but I mean, the people aren't sometimes we I think we get uh, the people aren't demanding this. I don't think, you know, Uh, not yet. Um, so that's the thing. I mean, if we had a huge amount of people that were making these demands, um, maybe something would happen. But then look at, let's say, the Women's March just a, a couple of weeks ago. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people marched. And what was the result? It seemed to have no effect on on Washington. Um, so I don't even think the president acknowledged that those marches happened. So I don't know, it takes a lot of people to be really aggressive to get something uh, done. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know that there is a call for that. And I think, you know, part of the problem, too, is that people, not everybody's probably convinced that, you know, uh, they're not handling it the way they should be. So for instance, Maybe they're not revealing stuff because they don't. It's stuff that we don't need to know. I mean, I think there are people who feel that way uh, that they think, "Hey, if if there's something going on, then it's a, it's being handled by the the best people." So, hmm, yeah, that that's a that's a real good point. That, uh, and I think we kind of rely on the government to do a lot of that that we don't really need to know or have a desire to know. You know, just just take care of us, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I suppose you're right. And as far as what you said about the Women's March, um, you know, that's so true. This is just the news is, seems to explode all the time every day. And it's like everything is so ephemeral. And um, I'm mm-hmm. hoping, you know, this this part will stay alive. I know that there's a lot of people that were on the fence about UFOs that it caught their attention. But how long will it? keep their attention i have no idea yeah we'll see i mean the news cycle on this story i think is passed and a lot of people mention that but i i think there'll be more news and um you know george knapp's interviews like you said those were great they didn't seem to spark any major uh 
articles. Of course, the UK tabloids are doing stuff all the time, so they picked up on it, but they pick up on everything UFO, even things that are just kind of made up. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully it'll spark some more attention, but it doesn't seem to be, like she said, it was kind of a murmur. People were like, oh, okay. You know, and I kind of get that feeling, too, that the, the media was even like, okay, UFOs are real. Great. Let's move on. I mean, because that news alone is interesting, and it created a, a, a news story for a period of time, but it's not, like, on its own that compelling um, I, I, enough, I guess, for people to really, you know, um, be enthralled by it enough to have that story continue. I, I think if, you know, if they if the news broke, well, uh, you know, UFOs are real. And guess what? We actually met um, one of them flying, and it was indeed an extraterrestrial. Yeah. You know, I mean, it would have to be something like that. I, yeah. I think you're right. Um, because it's all, you know, we still don't really know what they are. You know, I mean, that yeah. part hasn't changed. Yep, so, I agree. Yeah. And then you have it's, some debunkers out there you were mentioning before who are saying that uh, even with just those few seconds of film or video that they have, that they're able to determine, they're able to do the work that the Department of Defense, the Navy, and whoever else couldn't do to identify those craft as, as planes, which I'm just, I'm very skeptical of the skeptics because they have very little information that they're going off of. And uh, I think it's just kind of, it's kind of silly even to, yeah. until you have all the information to, uh, to do such an analysis. I mean, I think they ought to talk to the original investigators first, which I think will be possible uh, in time. That would be good. Yeah, it's, it's Metabunk mostly. And I know uh, Mick West, I've, he's actually done some really good work before, but he's really, um, you know, he's gotten really involved in um, a, thinking he's identifying this as a plane, you know, as infrared signal of heat. And the rotation, he thinks he has that figured out and, and all that. But, uh, you know, for one thing, uh, planes have transponders that they would be identified. And, you know, there were 12 of them or something like that. Or, you know, I can't remember what the pilot is saying. But it's just a blurb. It's just a film with nothing else. Um, you know, maybe we'll get the backed up data eventually. That would be nice. Um, you know, radar or whatever goes along with that. Maybe we'll, maybe that'll be de- declassified as well, and that would really change, I think, for the skeptic side anyway. Yeah, so I think there's a lot more information that we need, and that's one good thing, though, is that um, we've got more information coming. So I yeah. think George Knapp's interview was actually a little longer. I, I, I At the end of the second piece that he released, he said more to come. I'm not sure if he meant those videos or if he meant the interview that the Congress is is going to have. But, you know, uh, I did hear from Lou Elizondo. You know, they did. They uh, I, I haven't gotten the video yet because I explained this before. Maybe not on my show. So originally, Elizondo was going to come to the conference. Then it turned yeah. out and he's told people online. So I guess it's OK for me to tell people that he had a, a surgery a procedure, medical procedure that got rescheduled too during the conference, so he couldn't come. Right. And he was really bummed out. Uh, mm. So then uh, we were going to go out there and film him, and but then he had to go to California. So Tom DeLong, 
and his people said, hey, we'll film the interview for you. And, uh, you know, they obviously, if you've seen their videos, they're very well produced. Uh, they've got mm-hmm. great equipment and everything. So we said, great. Uh, we sent them a bunch of questions that we got from listeners and readers uh, from the Internet. And Elizondo, I know, wanted to go through all of them. But, of course, time did not permit. But still, he said they got through a lot. And they filmed for over an hour. So uh, that video should be coming to me here in the next day or two. So we've got a lot of answers coming in this exclusive video that he's providing to the UFO Congress. So George Knapp, of course, did an excellent job getting to some really important points. Um, and then we'll have a lot during the conference. So there's a lot of information to come. Not only that, speaking with Lou, you know, they're careful and they're busy right now, so they haven't been able to talk to a lot of people, but he really wants to get out there. So in the not-too-distant future, he'll be probably on my show. Uh, he might be able to get to your show and, and some others, but he'll be out here speaking with people um, in the near future, so we'll have a lot more answers. And he's just a really cool guy. I think I told you this was yeah. really funny. He called me yesterday and said, hey, there are some people talking stuff and you know, saying mean things about you in this forum. Uh, I I noticed when I was, uh, you know, looking on the internet and he said, I jumped in there and I defended you. And he said, it was pretty funny because they were pretty shocked. They weren't expecting to uh, hear from me. And uh, I think it was the Paracast forum because Gene, who runs the Paracast said, hey, Louis Elizondo was on our forum and he seems like he is a really cool guy because I've been telling everybody, this guy's really cool. He's going to be, you know, uh, wait till you meet him and get to know more about him. So, uh, but it was pretty funny. He said that people were like, oh, Lou was going to be there. Now he's not and complaining. And Lou was just saying, hey, it's not his fault. It's not their fault. You know, um, I wanted to get there and, and they've been really working hard to make sure that you guys get something. So, yeah, great. Yeah, he seems like down to earth and intelligent at the same time, which reminds me, I, I happen to listen um, to the New York Times uh, podcast interview that had an interview with him, you mm. know, in that show. Um, and, you know, he, you know, the, uh, Marsha, I think the woman was, uh, that was one of the authors of that article, you know, was questioned about, well, what do you think of Lou Alessandro? And she says, well, he's, he's great. He's intelligent. He's, he knows, you know, he, he's, uh, very informative. He, she said he's a hundred percent credible, mm-hmm. you know, and she said only when she got back on the train and started riding back toward uh, New York City did she start to question what she just heard, <laughs> you know, which I think is anyone's reaction when they're hearing yeah. something, you know, groundbreaking like that. Well, and the, and the thing is, people can be really, really nice and very intelligent and still get it wrong. You know, uh, Sefa, mm-hmm. who you said, you know, the skeptics have been, oh, those guys suck. You yeah. know, those are the guys out of Chile. They've had some cases where they they misidentified themselves yes so that happens um and it's entirely possible in this case but um from what i understand i mean it passed through multiple different levels and different analysis before it even got to elizondo's group so i mean these people were really at a loss to explain what they had witnessed and um so and we'll find out more about that coming up here soon yeah, and that's just one of the circumstances. That's just one. So many of more. several. Right. Third video coming out. 
What video, what information is going to come with, with that video? What's going to be in it? Oh my gosh, this is exciting, exciting <laughs> stuff. Now, listen, well, Ala, Ala, I mean, I'm sorry, well, Alazondo's um, actually interview be available on DVD, you know, after the conference? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll yeah. have it soon after the conference. We'll have it available and we'll let people know uh, in which mediums and how. And uh, we'll definitely have stuff out there for people to see. Great. Yep. I am so looking forward to next week. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you're going to be right there. Right there. In, in the, the middle of it, of it all. all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How exciting. And doing my show. I'm going to do my show from there. I'm excited about that, too. Yep. So other news, though, people, yeah, go check it out. Uh, go check out the iTeam and their uh our interviews, George Knapp's interviews with Elizondo, really cool stuff. You mentioned uh, Cheryl Costa and her article. We've got that in our daily headlines. People can check out. Um, she's going to be at the conference. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and you mentioned this before, but when we were talking about the debunkers and stuff, uh, in defense of you know the videos and the process, uh, Nick Pope did an article in the Daily Express that we've got a link for uh, mm-hmm. that people can see there. And this is kind of interesting. Some other stories out there today. Um, there's a story uh, from the BBC about UFOs and alien sightings that were revealed by the Cambridgeshire police. So they had some sightings reported, and the BBC wrote about that today. Hmm. Did you see that? Also, I didn't see that, but um, I did read the Evansville um, witness to UFOs. This is a couple that witnessed a UFO and the news station took it serious and, you know, did quite an quite a nice report on it. I thought it was well done. Oh, right, right. I started wondering if, you know, perhaps would have they have done this if that that Pentagon story didn't come out? I, yeah. I don't know. Good I mean, question. they took it very serious. Mm. And speaking yeah. of a, a television show that's taken all this stuff seriously and the uh, um, older people, and I apologize, uh, if you remember this show and you take offense to being called an older person. However, if you do remember this show, you are indeed an older person, if you were especially around when it aired. And that's a show called In Search Of, which was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Really weird 70s-style show, uh, but it was about paranormal stuff. It was started by Rod Serling. He created these specials that were kind of like uh, Von Daniken's movies back in the day. And then it turned into a series, but Rod Serling unfortunately passed away. So they got Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock in the original Star Trek television shows. And now they're going to reboot it with the man who plays Spock now in modern days. And that is Zachary Quinto, a great actor. So yeah, yeah. they'll be coming covering some paranormal. And you heard from some goofball who's going to be on the show. Yeah, Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, that I was character. talking to him, <laughs> talking to him on the phone recently, and he said he was going to Boston the next day to do some filming on. That's involved. so cool. Yeah, I just call him a great. goofball because he's a buddy, and and I'm he jealous. Yes, yeah, so of him being on the show. So that's really cool. And uh, but I will be with uh, Mark in March. Late March in Boise at Treefort Music Festival. They have a portion where they're going to kind of, they're trying to do by South by Southwest where they have panels. And I'll be there speaking about the media, but then they asked, hey, do you have anything else that could make a cool panel? 
And I said, sure, what about, uh, you know, technology when it comes to paranormal? Because I like doing tech stuff. And they were like, oh, that sounds great. Who you got? So I told them some names, and they decided that it'd be cool to bring Ben Hansen and Mark D'Antonio for uh, a panel so all of us can talk about that. So that'll be in late March, Treefort. You can look it up uh, in Boise. That's how they say it out there, Idaho. Wow, that's going to be a lot of fun. That will be fun. So we're out of time. But thank you so much, Martin, for joining us once again for the UFO News. Thank you very much. And by the way, I remember in search of. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. sorry, oh, buddy. Well. You are kind of old. Yeah, I know. It'll be on the History Channel. So um, let's go ahead and talk with Bryce Zabel. So after the break, uh, if you're listening to KGRA, you'll hear some commercials. Please do patronize these great people. And then uh, if you're listening to podcasts, you'll just hear a short musical interlude. We'll be right back with Bryce Zabel. Happy to welcome back to the show my good friend Bryce Zabel. How are you? I'm doing very good, although it is a heat wave out here in um, Southern California where I am right now. Really? Like yeah. how hot? Well, I, I don't. I, yesterday, uh, my car said it was in the 80s as I was driving in, and that's mm. not nor. I re- admit that you're in Phoenix and you <laughs> have probably a different view of that, but uh, driving in. Uh, it's usually not that warm in January. It's definitely hotter, and uh, we really haven't had much uh, rain of any kind. So it's 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 shaped. Last year it rained. This year it's looking like we're not going to get as much as we'd like. Yeah, wild. I California's had it a bit rough. Oh, I mean it's 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 a. Uh, it's just the way it is here in California. It's one of the greatest states to live in. There's so much mm-hmm. going on. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's temperate weather most of the time. And uh, so there's all these positives. But uh, we all also face uh, – th- We you know the joke used to be that we would just have earthquakes to face. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously we have earthquakes, we have fires, and we have floods. So we've got – we got the trifecta of disaster here uh, yeah. around the corner at any time. So – uh, getting yes. on to what you do and UFOs and everything, I was pleasantly surprised to find, I didn't realize this before, that you have a Wikipedia. Uh, well, I didn't, you know, you can't do anything about it. If I have a Wikipedia, it's not based on me putting anything up there. Uh-huh. I, uh, they just sprout, and I've noticed that you can't even correct it. I tried oh, to correct really? my Wikipedia one time, mm-hmm. and I was sort of slapped down by the establishment saying, well, you can't correct this. You're the guy. Uh-huh. Uh, it's about you. And I thought, well, wouldn't I have more facts about what's true on my Wikipedia page than anybody else? But I guess that's not the way it works. It, so there's there's things on my Wikipedia page that I look at, like something about my family that I wish I could take away and it's inaccurate, but you can't do anything about it. Oh, how funny. That is so weird. I guess I can see it in that they want 
uh, citations. But it's right. kind of strange, yeah, when you're the person and you can't correct you know, the, it seems like the best way to tell people who you are these days uncensored is sort of your LinkedIn page. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if you want to talk professionally, Wikipedia, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's great. People use it. I, I refer to it all the time, but having your own page sometimes causes you to be a little more suspicious of what you read on the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the good thing about this Wikipedia is, yeah. uh, and it's one thing having, had to try, attempt to write bios for you. It, it's wow. difficult because you've done so many things. I mean, of course, you worked at the CNN for a while, writer, producer, a, a correspondent, um, before you moved into Hollywood and working on The Crow, and, of course, your own show, Dark Skies, and, and Official Denial uh, with the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, and then being in charge of the Emmys, um, and, and all of these other projects you've been on, I mean, it adds up. Is it when you look at your all of the work that you've done, all the things that you've worked on? I mean, uh, does it feel like you know you've been just hard <laughs> at it for years, or does it? I have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It astonishes even me sometimes. And I had an agent a few years ago that said, you know, you got to take some of this stuff off. It's just too much. It uh, <laughs> it makes you sound like you've been around a hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and I haven't, but I have been around working hard and, and you, you are sort of known by your credits. Also, uh, you remember the um, future shock, Alvin Toffler, he, he first talked about serial careers and I've sort of done that. I mean, I had a a whole career as a television correspondent that, as you mentioned, included CNN among a lot of local news places. And then I just tried to stay in Hollywood. I decided my, to try my hand at screenwriting, which uh, worked out. And I kept, uh, I kept saying to myself, well, as long as they pay me to do this, I'll keep doing it. So they <laughs> kept paying me. I kept doing it. And then I took kind of a U-turn uh, for a bit when I uh, was the chairman and CEO of the Television Academy, uh, which was – powerfully interesting given that I was on the job when 9-11 happened and I had just been elected to that thing. So that was interesting. And now, of course, I'm a book author too. So uh, I got, I, you know, I could stop, but it's, I'm just too wired to, to stop. So I keep doing it. Yeah. And among all, all this, I mean, and that's what we'll start to get into. It's what you're working on now, sure. which is so much. I mean, because you're working on so much, but, um, and even when it just comes to UFOs, you're working on so much. But I really want to ask this question of you. So you work with uh, Richard Dolan on this book, AD After Disclosure. Yes. And of course, in December, we have this uh, Lou Elizondo coming out and saying, I work for the Department of Defense investigating UFOs. Do you feel at any level this was a sort of disclosure? And does it give you insight uh you know, that on that topic that, you know, you didn't have when you wrote your book. Of course it does. Uh, when Rich Dolan and I were working on this, I think it was uh, 2011, I want to say, that we were working on it. We spent a lot of time kicking around just various scenarios that, that might qualify as disclosure. Um, and, and it really is a spectrum of events. You could go, you know, one of them would be little disclosure all the way up to big disclosure. Big disclosure would probably be the president or the pope or the prime minister of something comes out and says, yeah, this UFO thing, it's, it's for real. Um, we haven't had that yet. 
the, the uh, Elizondo thing and the New York Times article are what I would sort of call the beginning of disclosure. I think we are we are seeing currently, uh, as I, if I can sort of uh, use a little Churchill language here, we are not seeing the uh, we are not seeing disclosure. We are seeing the beginning of disclosure. We're we're it's not the it's not the end of the cover up, but it's the beginning of the end. Um, because what's going to happen? Uh, so so I think that I do call it disclosure, but. And it did rivet people, and it rivets me now, but it has not taken over the the conversation and the way that is really necessary to say we have ultimate disclosure. In other words, people that want to know uh, the truth or that want to be informed as to whether the UFO phenomenon is a valid one or not, there's plenty of evidence already for them to say, yes, it is. It is valid. It is happening. Uh, whether they know exactly the, the totality of it or what it means is different, of course. Uh, but there's still the preponderance of people who would like maybe to believe that aliens are real or that we're not alone, uh, but they don't feel that they know the facts and they really haven't uh, taken the time to see them. But uh, just to answer your question specifically, when the New York Times finally starts taking it seriously, as they appear to have done most recently in December – that does at least begin the conversation among uh, regular people. And it's the kind of thing that people like you and I are able to use to our own benefit. I've for many years said that when I go to a party, I'm, I'm kind of treated like the drunk uncle at the party if I start talking about UFOs. <laughs> uh, and, and I think we've all experienced that, who, those of us who know anything about the topic. But I think that the New York Times and now the fact that this story just basically ricocheted from one end of the world to the other – that tells us that uh, we have something that we can use in our uh, in our conversations with people who really don't know what's going on. And you say, well, don't don't take my word for it. Read this New York Times article. Uh, it's a very good article, uh, and and it'll get you interested in knowing more. And I think we are in that period now, which is the beginning of disclosure, where we are reaching beyond our own internal little audience of just those of us who think we know something to people who haven't really given it a lot of thought, but now are beginning to. And I think that's progress. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the closest thing to progress I've seen in my lifetime anyway. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I keep a close eye on is how the media reacts to this phenomena and, and why. And I feel I can understand their motivations and why they act the way they do for the most part, you know, having worked in journalism and, and you as well. And what I found interesting is how readily uh, they were willing to just adapt to this knowledge. I mean, previously, having done a lot of interviews, you know, there's there's some people are open to it and they're like, okay, interesting, but they're not necessarily open to just really, you know, saying, okay, this is a, a, an established thing. Um, and you've probably experienced that too. And, and as a journalist, you know, you need kind of like what you were talking about, that expert. You need someone to say something to point right. to, to say, now I can say this is real. And when you have people like Don Lemon or, or some of these others, what the, the Fox News guy too, uh, Carter. Sure. Ooh, uh, what's his head? Um, you're right. <laughs> but he, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. It was a great the guy interview. that always frowns. He always yeah, frowns. When he he's does. Yeah. They all do on Fox <laughs> News. But I mean, he, uh, they were so willing to just say, okay, 
Now we right. have an expert who says they're real, and I'm cool with saying that they're real. Yes. And, and it was very interesting how easily I think that happened. And I think that has happened where they're kind of like, okay, UFOs are a real deal. That's cool. It's you 2018, know. Alejandro. I mean, the the this wouldn't have flown a, f a few years ago, certainly in the mm -hmm. 50s, where Frank, uh, where uh, Kehoe was talking about the, the, the silence group and how it was about to fall apart as a cover-up, uh, and it never did. We have now reached a point where people are willing to, at least parts of the intelligentsia, are willing to talk about it seriously. One of the problems I always had um, at, at uh, with with broadcast news, and I certainly have done my share of this, is quite often, especially when you're in TV, they send you out to do a story and you've got very little time to do it. Mm. So you fall into the formula that I, uh, this is how I would describe it. You do a story that says, some say yes, some say no, we say maybe. Um, be, which means you go out and you find somebody who's willing to state something, and then you find someone who says that it's all wrong, and then you do a stand-up or whatever that says, well, I guess, I guess this debate will continue. <laughs> or something like that. Uh -huh. And I think we're starting to move beyond that to a little more yeah. mature discussion of the UFO uh, phenomenon. Uh, because if anyone that does even a partial amount of work on it knows that although it's very difficult to say exactly what is happening, it's not difficult to say that something is happening. And, and for years, I've been trying to just boil it down to the essence for my friends because I, I sort of judge how I'm able to talk to people about this because I do like to talk to people about it. I like to get their feedback and, and also I like my friends to know what I feel I know and here's how I've boiled it down. I am willing to say with a high degree of certainty that at least some of the objects flying around on our skies are from someplace that isn't here and they're being piloted by somebody that isn't us. Mm -hmm. Now, that's that's a that's a pretty shocking baseline, even though it's very simplistic. But it does at least start the conversation for a lot of people. And then the question always becomes, well, then what is happening? Well, now is when it gets complicated because there probably are a lot of people that have more information than you and I do, uh, and they're not sharing it widely. And disclosure, when it's in full uh, bloom, is going to be the time where people start to discuss these things way more openly uh, with far more detail. In other words, why is it that that New York Times article came out? And as you point out, uh, Don Lemon and the Today Show and and even the guy on Fox whose name we can't seem to remember right now. It's killing me right <laughs> Tucker now. Tucker Carlson, I, I think Tucker it is. Tucker Carlson, yes it is. So you got everybody talking about it. So And, and, and uh, other newspapers follow up. Here's my question. Why is it that if the New York Times is putting out something that's that crazy, that this giant tic-tac is up there in the sky, doesn't have wings, and it, it's behaving is like it's behaving, why is it that somebody doesn't say uh, to their reporting team, I want to own this story. I'm putting you, you, and you on this. Let's start breaking stories. Well, I, they I might be. You know, because one interesting thing is October, you know, they, they made this announcement. Um, from speaking with Leslie Kane, I now know that she uh, approached her colleague Ralph Blumenthal, who has written about UFOs before at the He's New York terrific, Times. Uh, terrific journalist, yeah. Yeah. So they got together and they decided to approach the New York Times and they talked the New York Times into it. And so they did it. But also, at the same time, you had Politico and the Washington Post 
working on their own stories that they launched the same day. And then you had a couple other organizations. But Political and Washington Post put some time and effort into it. That's excellent. I, so, and that's what we, you know, if you think about it, we got all these different sources competing on the Trump-Russia uh, story, which is an important story, no matter which side of it you're on. It's an important story. Um, and they don't have any problem uh, getting themselves ginned up to attack it by a little competition, friendly competition between papers. I'd like to see that break out. It sounds to me from what you just said, that may be what's happening. And that will be a powerful thing indeed when that happens. You're right. And, you know, that could be happening. We don't know who's doing what research behind the scenes and uh, their stories will come out eventually or or if they, they even know what to do with it. it it's interesting. Um, yeah, just this whole dynamic of and kind of like what you were talking about. It's moved that conversation up a notch from, you know, some say this, some say that, you know, we're in the middle. Right where it's moved up from UFOs are established now. Some say they're alien, some say they're not. It's kind right. of the new conversation, which it's is... A, it's, it's a definite step up to have that conversation. Uh, and by the way, think about it. Um, the Washington Post pretty much owned the Watergate story, but it didn't mean that other people weren't reporting it, mm -hmm. and they were following them. And Ben Bradley was basically saying to his guys... Woodward and Bernstein, hey, we own this story, but we only own it because we're breaking stories. So keep breaking stories. Yeah. And um, once a little uh, fire comes through, and it looks like New York Times may be that place, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but th there's certainly enough resources out there, and there are certainly enough people who who do know that there is an underlying reality to the UFO situation, who have kept their counsel over the years because they were afraid of being embarrassed as being not a serious journalist or not a serious publisher or whatever, who increasingly are probably looking at the landscape and saying, this may be the right time to do this. So I have more optimism that some form of disclosure is, is not only happening, but is about to pick up some speed over the next few uh, months and years. So um, I, I honestly, uh, I used to worry that this would never happen in my lifetime. And now <laughs> I think it's going to happen in my lifetime. Well, what's funny, it, it reminds me in this whole incident, and I think I've talked to you about this before, there's this anime, and I forget the, the name of it that I uh, was watching. And I thought it was hilarious because it was Disclosure Happened. And, you know, they were like, there's UFOs, there are aliens here, and they're attacking us. And, you know, they had this, uh, I think it was probably a giant robot they built to fight the aliens. Right. And they would come sometimes. And it was funny because it was kind of comedic, uh, but nobody cared. Everybody was like, eh, so what? You know, I knew there were aliens. And uh, nobody really was shocked except for, you know, this one kid who was like really into it. And he was like just talking about how cool these guys are who are defending us and, and everything. And everybody's like, yeah, big deal. And they're going on with their lives. And it almost kind of feels like that in a way. Maybe, except you know, that's uh, it's it's good for the comedy of it, but I don't I don't think that's actually true. I think once we start having a global conversation on this topic, I think people are going to be very very interested in it. I'm I'm quite sure of it, and and I think even more the, interested than they are in the Kardashians. <laughs> Shockingly, I think yes. I think there's really not much uh, more compelling than this whole question of not only are we alone, but that sort of 
that is the thing that I think you're referring to where people are not going to be shocked. I don't think people will be shocked at all to realize that there are other life forms. Uh, we've thought that for years. In fact, we have all these people working on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence to find signals from space. I think the shocking thing is to realize that we're not necessarily having to wait for somebody to send us a message from God knows where, mm -hmm. but that they're here right now or they have been, and that raises all kinds of questions. I, I always put it, um, once you accept that you're not waiting for a radio signal, but that you are dealing with a phenomenon that is active here uh, on the planet, and that, that that's going on, I think there's three basic questions that people are going to want answered, and they are very newsworthy questions. Those three are, um, who are they? That's the essential one. Second, what do they want? And then the third one is, are we safe? Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things that's always defined news, uh, if you think about what goes on on the 11 o'clock news at night, or I guess in Phoenix, it's the 10 o'clock news, but <laughs> the, the, the uh, nightly news is supposed to reassure, to answer the question of, are we safe? So the, the thing that goes to the top mm. is if there's a active shooter someplace, then that you're going to lead with that because it goes to the, are we safe? And I think once people realize there are, uh, others, whether they're aliens or some other non-human intelligence, uh, they're going to be really, really compelled by it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, th th so I don't think we've answered that question yet. That's going to be really a shocking one. And, and the, the other thing that I've sort of thought about over these years is this whole concept of, of, <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of lost my thought there. I was I was right on the money with it, and then I just outfoxed myself. So what's your next question? <laughs> well, the, the next thing I was thinking of, I'm going to make a note. So oh, I'll, I know I'll what it was. That. I okay, okay. Know what it was. Okay. The thing that I've uh, been thinking about over all these years, because I, I've gone to UFO conferences and so forth. And by the way, I'll be speaking at the IUFOC on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, which makes my wife very happy that I'm spending <laughs> Valentine's Day uh, speaking at a UFO conference. But uh, I, I've heard people over the years make the statement, well, why would anybody come here? I mean, we're just this, you know, if they're technologically advanced enough to get here, why would, what, why would they want to even come here? We're such a backwater place, blah, blah, blah. I think it's time for us to move beyond that kind of thought and instead ask ourselves uh, if it's possible that what's going on is that any intelligent life is interesting to all other intelligent life. And, and we would be fascinated. We're a curious race. We're, we'd be fascinated by any other life. We're fascinated by life here on Earth. We'd certainly, we're looking for microbes in space. We're fascinated by life. If there was an other intelligent life out there, we'd be fascinated by it. And I think you could probably think that the same might be true for at least some of these other civilizations that we think are out there. And some of them probably have the technology to get here. So uh, it's about to get real interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if, if I really put it out there the way I'm thinking these days, I think we are entering the period where this discussion is going to be not relegated to the fringe, but is going to become mainstream. Mm -hmm. And you know, I also, it also seems like, I don't, for some reason while we're talking here, especially when we're talking media, 
uh, and the way that this has gone down so far, it also seems like an opportunity for other, uh, for like the Air Force or, or even the Navy to be up in front of this and to say, hey, we are on this. We are looking at it. Yes. Uh, we're trying to figure it out. So we are here doing our job, trying to keep you guys safe and make sure we're aware of everything going on out there. Because uh, it seems like, especially uh, with the major media, they've loved Elizondo. They've loved, you know, yes. they, and the pilot who's come out and talked. And, and they think they make sense and that this should even... Um, I always well, mess up his name, but, you know, Tyson, that, that yes. astronomer is saying, yeah, we need a pro program like this. Well, in fact, though, I thought it was on the day that the New York Times broke its story, I saw Neil deGrasse Tyson interviewed on CNN. I've never seen him look more uncomfortable because <laughs> his talking points that he usually falls back on, which are kind of like joke points and all that, mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't able to do that because this yeah. was this had video, it had uh, startlingly good witnesses. It was profoundly extreme uh, uh, in its strangeness, and he just wasn't—he wasn't on his game. Uh, I'm—he's I'm, going to have to adjust his game. I'm sure he already has. He's a smart guy, but th that is very true. Uh, we we have to start taking into account that uh, this the, the event that was described by uh, Elizondo and also you know the whole New York Times thing. That's just one of thousands. I mean, once people right. really get into this, I mean, good Lord. I mean, look at Leslie Kane's excellent book. I mean, mm -hmm. she just had a number of cases. That was fantastic. But there's so many others. And each one of them is extremely strange. And a lot of this phenomenon doesn't seem like it belongs with the other phenomena. Yeah. So trying to square the circle here, trying to reconcile this is really uh, – that's why I don't think people will just go, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's going to be grist for talk shows for many, many years to come unless somebody literally has the answer and lays it all out. But I don't think anybody does. Yeah. So I think, I think we, guys like you and me and the, your, your listeners, we're all going to have to uh, work through this new world together. And there are uh, probably a lot more questions to it right now than there are answers. Yep. We've got to go to break here. And uh, when we get back, we'll start talking more about the the projects that you're working on. But uh, but we're going to take a break right now. For those of you listening on KGRA, you'll hear some commercials. And then for those of you listening on the podcast, there'll be a short musical interlude. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Bryce Abel. Before changing gears a bit here, you were talking about uh, being the, the like the drunk uncle at at the party. But you get to go to some pretty cool parties, and you're not always the only drunk uncle. Uh, <laughs> in fact, recently uh, you bumped into Dan Aykroyd, who we know is a big UFO buff, and and you talked UFOs, right? I, I got a chance to meet Dan and, and do exactly that. Um, I think I mentioned earlier I was the chairman and CEO of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Those are the guys, as you pointed out, that give out the Emmys. So um, I 
I, that I, well, what I didn't realize when I ran for the position and was elected was that it's got some lifetime privileges. You go awesome. to the Emmys for the rest of your life for free and wow. the governor's balls. And, and you also go to all the other events. Well, one of the events uh, in November, I think, was the Hall of Fame Awards. And the first season cast of SNL was all being inducted into the Television Academy wow. Hall of Fame, which included Aykroyd and, and all the others. So it was a tremendous night. Um just fantastic. And they had a party afterwards. So I'm standing at the party and I saw Dan and I thought, you know, um, I should congratulate him first. And and then, so I, I walked up and congratulated him and, and I told him exactly what has happened to me over the years. People keep saying to me, cause they go, well, you're making UFO projects. So you really should talk to Dan Aykroyd. So I, I said, you know, people keep telling me I should talk to you. And he said, why is that? And I said, because we both know a little bit about UFOs. And uh, we had a, a, a fast and furious conversation about UFOs, talking about things that I'm quite sure that no one else on the floor at this reception <laughs> had any knowledge of. But he's very articulate. He's mm-hmm. extremely well-informed, and uh, he believes strongly that uh, that things are about to change. Um, he's had some experiences of his own, and he's... Um, He's very outspoken about them, and I liked him immensely. I I I think that um, uh, he's he's got his own role to play in this, and and um, and I think he's willing to do that. I mean, he's he hasn't been he hasn't not talked about this over the years, but I think uh, he was as riveted as the rest of us by the New York Times breakout, um, and and I think he's also thinking that there are a lot of stories in our our respective past here that uh, are going to be seen in a new light. So I, I welcomed that conversation with him. I, and I'm in touch with him now and I hope to have other conversations with him. Mm-hmm. And you are working on a couple UFO projects and, and he was able to take a look at those. Uh, I don't want to get too much into that. And I am possibly going to be talking more about that at my, um, my speech on the 14th. So I hope people can come out to that great uh, UFO Congress. Um, on, but I uh, get a sense know, from our yeah. previous uh, talks that if you're able to share more about what Dan Aykroyd uh, discussed with you, that it's some pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, he's a great guy. I want to, I, I, I think we share a lot of interests and we have a lot of uh, skill sets that coincide and could make some interesting things happen. I mean, I did, I'm not going to, I did talk to him about a couple of these projects that uh, I've been working on and he was very interested in them. And, and, um, you know, and of course I'm very interested in him being interested in (laughs) it. So, because I'm a producer. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your projects, a couple of the projects, and I think maybe we talked about these uh, uh, last time you were on, which is probably last year sometime, but um, you've moved forward with them. And one of those is uh, you've got a project on Betty and Barney Hill and then one on um, Stanton and Stanton Friedman and and Don Schmidt. So maybe you can kind of describe these two projects. Yeah, I sure will. Um, And I, you know, it's frustrating for people who have heard me on the radio over the years because I, I don't want to be coy. I want to talk about the things that I'm working on. At the same time, people then can say, well, he's been talking about that for years, right? (laughs) But that's the way it works. It takes sometimes years to get 
certain things done in Hollywood, uh, you become an overnight success after a decade. Like, for example, I'm making uh, – I have a movie, uh, The Last Battle, about the last battle of World War II that took almost a decade to get a deal made on it. Uh, and it's going to be a big movie, but it just took forever. So – uh, hopefully I'll have the same success stories with these other two, which I'll tell you about <laughs> briefly. One of them, as you pointed out, is the Betty and Barney Hill story. I have the book that was written by Stanton Friedman and Kathy Marden, captured under option, and have been developing it for years. We have a screenplay. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, work on it. As I said, I have the rights, and I'm talking to various people about it. And uh, I will be speaking a little bit more about the details of that project, uh, what the take on it is, and uh, some of the potential breakouts that may happen in getting it made sooner than later. And as you pointed out, the other was really a Roswell story. It's called Unidentified. And I, what I did, um, it's kind of an odd thing because it's not the traditional thing you do with movies, but I optioned Stanton Friedman's Top Secret Magic, which was his book about Majestic 12 and those documents. And I optioned Don Schmidt's uh, uh, witness to Roswell. And I also optioned their two life stories and <laughs> kind of put them in an atom collider and blew them up into a, this story called Unidentified, which is the story of the race to break the Roswell story. Um, and because I think uh, one way to get at the Roswell story uh, that won't just have it rejected, you know, lots of people have said, I want to do a movie about Roswell. And it, has really only happened once, to my knowledge, in 1994, where they made a Showtime movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't even get that, I don't think, on DVD right now. No. No. So I thought a, a better uh, bite of the apple, uh, if you will, might be to tell the story of the race to break the underlying truth of Roswell. And that way it gives me a couple of main characters that I can have some fun with and have some humor in the same movie. So in, in other words, I will be turning Stanton Friedman and Don Schmidt into characters uh, in this movie. They're and already characters. They are. Well, that very good. <laughs> yeah, they are characters. And in fact, that's why I was compelled by them. Yeah. I, I know them both. Um, I, th they'd be the first to tell you that they're not perfect people and that they've had their own issues over time and that makes them interesting to me and i also like the fact that stanton and don and frankly most of the other roswell researchers uh, although i'm only focused on the two of them but th these are people who are true american heroes because they don't like being lied to Mm. And they will pay almost any price to get at the truth. And I think that is a great story. And there's progress on that one as well. Um, and, you know, the thing is, the funny thing about any television or feature film project in Hollywood is nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens until something happens. You mm. chase a lot of things. You go down a lot of blind alleys. You take a lot of meetings that don't add up to anything. And then one day the phone rings and you figure out how to get it made. And that's certainly what happened with the last battle. And, and, uh, I think will also ultimately happen, uh, to these two movies. I mean, the Betty and Barney Hill case, for example, is the first ever, uh, covered abduction in this country. And here they were also an interracial couple. So some, uh, last year, given what movies were out, when I was talking to people about it, I would often say to them, it's kind of like a rival meets loving. Uh, and, you know, in Hollywood speak, that allowed them to figure out what it was mm -hmm. like. But these are movies. Uh, I, it doesn't if you're a person in Hollywood trying to make something, 
you got you got to love it. You got to have passion for the material because you got to put up with a lot of slings and arrows. And I believe in both of these movies. I believe the world will be a better place if these movies can be made because the singular point of each of them is for the first one, it, it, Betty and Barney Hill really had something happen to them. And for the second one, it's like Roswell really was the crash of something that we didn't make. Mm-hmm. So it's they're fascinating to me. So when it comes to making movies like this, um, you know, a lot of people, especially in the field who are familiar with these, these uh, situations, would like them to be pure as to, you know, documenting uh, what actually happened. And right. when that doesn't happen, let's say with uh, like Travis Walton's movie and, and they make changes to the, to the facts, a lot of people ascribe this to, you know, some MJ Cabal 12 type no, coming in no. and changing things. But what is the real difficulty? Because I'm sure you're running into that right now. I think it's the, the case, and it has always been the case. Anytime a movie is made about something that was based on a true story, uh, people always uh, track how much they departed from the truth and blah, blah, blah. Um, my attitude is is simply... Of course I have to change some things because I'm trying to tell a dramatic film that will take the money of my investors and not waste it, but will make them some money for having uh, spent time making this movie. Uh, If people want to know uh, only the facts, then they should watch documentaries and read books. Uh, and, and if they want to be entertained, uh, and get some facts, then that's where a film can come in. So I'm not saying you, you make things up out of whole cloth, but you can't please everybody. So Mm -hmm. what happens if you want to make a two hour movie out of the entire investigation of Roswell, then, you know, you're going to have to condense some characters. You're going to have to, uh, take some time compression and put that into it. Uh, you're going to have to just find, uh, you're, you're going to have to, the thing is not every line of dialogue needed needs to have been spoken by somebody, but it needs to reflect the reality of what they think more or less. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. you try to be true to the topic as opposed to every little detail of it, because if you do, then you're not going to make as good a movie. And, and honestly, um, uh, you, you've got to make a good movie. And so in fact, if you look, it isn't just by the way, UFO movies that would have this problem. People argue yeah. about this, you know, captain Phillips comes out. People argue whether Tom Hanks, you know, looks like the guy and whether he would have done those things. And every true life movie has that. And it's just, I, I think it goes with the territory. You just try to do the best you can to represent the truth as best as you can. Mm-hmm. Which just demonstrates the task and, and the trouble you're taking on. Cause I mean, it's kind of a, you can't win situation. Although yeah. it, it reminds me of, um, of close encounters, which is one of my favorite movies Excellent movie. Of course, J- Dr. J. Allen Hynek, the astronomer who consulted with the Air Force, was a, a consultant in the movie. And, you know, Don Schmidt worked very close with him. And Don right. says he didn't like the movie. He was upset when right. it came out for this same reason. He was like, it didn't stick to the facts. But, of course, you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you hear this stuff all the time. And I got to tell you, uh, just by way of being uh, the, from the ridiculous to the sublime, uh, as by way of example, uh, the latest book I have out has nothing to do with UFOs. It's a story about the Beatles. It's called once there was a way, what if the Beatles stayed together? It's an alternate history novel. Okay. So it's basically a novel that posits that John Paul, George and Ringo kept on playing together. I still get people saying in their comments to me, 
that never happened. <laughs> I say, well, of course it didn't happen. It's an alternate history novel. Uh, it's not meant to have happened. It's just saying it might have happened. And I, you know, I still get people who say, I don't know. I mean, boy, that I don't know if you should make up something like that. And so, of course, on something that's you're literally saying is based on a true story, you're going to have people fighting about every everything. And and I have no doubt that Heineck felt that way. Um, but a lot of other people take a different view. Don Schmidt, for example, uh, you know, he's read the screenplay that uh, of, of un- Unidentified, and it's not precisely exactly as it happened for him, but, but the essence of it is. And I, as I explained it to Don, I go, well, Don, think of it this way. This isn't exactly Don Schmidt. This is 180% of Don Schmidt. You're a bigger character in this than even in your own mind because you're a movie character in this. And I got to go get Ryan Gosling or somebody like that to play. <laughs> so, so I've got to, you know, it's got to be big and interesting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he totally understands that because from his point of view, the important thing is that uh, it will raise the question of the reality of Roswell to millions and millions and millions of people who haven't been thinking about it. And secondly, it would probably sell them a lot of books because people that would watch a movie like that would mm-hmm. say, I want to know what the real facts are, and they're going to go buy his book and read it. So uh, <laughs> it, it, let me put it this way. I don't think you should ever get into this end of the business if you don't like people criticizing you, because that's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, post Elizondo, you know, post New York Times story in December, it makes this uh, your movie even more relevant and interesting because no longer are these just kind of conspiracy wackos. Uh, now, at least, you know, mainstream realizes there was there really is something to the phenomena that these people were chasing something that isn't just completely made up goofiness i think that's true and also uh it's possible that the elizondo case and others like it are going to provide a little wind at the back to get some of these projects made traditionally the problem i have always uh, encountered is if people want to make an alien movie they want to make an alien invasion movie or some crazy you know just something they don't want it. Ba- they want it to feel real, but they don't want it to be based on reality because they they want to make a big, like I said, conflictual movie. But as people begin to more and more say, "I want to know what's going on here," I think they're more open to the kinds of movies, these two movies that I want to make, captured and unidentified, because they are based in fact. And even notwithstanding all I just said, erase that for a moment. Um, there will be dramatic license taken with both of them, but the underlying reality is important. Uh, it's based in true cases, and who among us uh, who who knows something about this phenomenon doesn't wish people thought a little more about the Betty and Barney Hill case and the Roswell case? These are important uh, underpinning uh, events in ufology that deserve to be taken to a wider audience now that there are more and more people interested in talking about it. Mm-hmm. Now, Hollywood is certainly very interested uh, in aliens. I mean, sci-fi is a big deal. Lots of alien movies out. Even, you know, the comic books, which are really big right now, are, are often the characters are aliens. Superman's an alien. So. But uh, when you talk about feeling like a drunken uncle, there's still kind of a taboo. Uh, is it, it at like any other you know professional kind of atmosphere when you go to these things that it's just not the type of topic that people talk about 
or is there more openness? Well, Hollywood's a little more open than middle America, maybe to, to some of this talk. Mm -hmm. But, um, and by the way, uh, going back to Superman, I worked on Lois and Clark on the mm -hmm. first season. And the first episode I wrote was called strange visitor from another planet. Um, <laughs> because I, you, let's face it. It, the underpinning of that character is he's an alien mm -hmm. who's living among us. So it makes it made it really interesting to me. And I think the new Superman iteration has certainly tried to uh, uh, do a little bit more of that. But now your, your, your question is really uh, that is it easier to talk uh, to people these days about this or is it the same old thing? Is that basically what yeah, you're asking? Yeah. And, and is it easier in the entertainment industry than, than, uh, other, let's say, professional organizations? I, you know, that's really an insightful question because the uh, uh, the glib answer would be, well, we're, we're crazy out here so we can hear anything. <laughs> and there is a certain amount of that. But I think the percentage of people who are open to discussing it as, uh, as an authentic thing that is happening versus dismissed as – the crazy fringe kind of thing is probably about the same out here. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that, whereas if in, in some other situations, people might say, I don't want to hear about that nonsense here in Hollywood, they'd still want to hear about it. But I, I actually, my personal experience is, um, I think my friends know I'm a, a journalist at heart, uh, and experience. And I think that they know that I've done my research and I, I get the opposite. Uh, I had a television series on NBC in the 90s called Dark Skies, and it got so much uh, recognition, and it put me sort of on the map for having some knowledge about this, that for years and years, I've had people do the opposite. They come to me, hmm. and they say, I understand. I know you did that show, and you did that movie, and blah, 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 and um, I, they either want to tell me about their own event, and that's happened many times, or they they say to me, you know, um, I don't really talk to anybody about this, but what do you really think is going on? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think there's this – I think people, once we change the game markers a little bit and say it's okay to talk about it, I think that's opening the floodgates. Mm -hmm. Once it's okay to talk about it seriously, which we are inching closer to that day every day now, uh, it, it will – go from something that you rarely hear discussed in open circles to something that's quite often discussed. And, and, and you brought this up earlier and you're quite right. It won't just be, uh, it used to be that every time a television reporter or anchor woman or something would be talking about uh, a UFO sighting, they'd have a smile on their face and maybe they play X-Files music and they talk about little green men and, mm -hmm. you know, all the pejorative ways of looking at it. Uh, we may be getting closer and closer to where that just looks naive and silly and that the, the person they're going to put uh, uh, on the story is going to be their science reporter. Right. Yeah. And once, once we start crossing that threshold, people are going to see the world in a different way. I frankly can't wait for that moment because it's so long overdue. And my own personal experiences, hearing the stories I've heard and having, I've had my own event, uh, happen to me. So I'm, I'm very interested in, in hearing more and, and open discussion. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about a lot of this other stuff that we've mentioned before. So those of you who are listening who want to hear more about, um, you know, Bryce's uh, uh, insight on some of these and his experience, you can listen to past podcasts because we're out of time. And now we oh. have about five seconds for you to say what your talk is going to be about at the Congress. My talk at the uh, UFO Congress is called Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. And what I'm going to try to do is take people through uh, my experiences over the past 25 years. The first movie I ever made about UFOs was called Official Denial. It was on the Sci-Fi Channel 25 years ago. And I'm going to walk people through that about the lessons learned and the questions uh, to be asked. And then, and you're also going to share kind of your own men in back, black type of experience. Yes. I left that out because I thought I only had five seconds. So, uh, yes, what I'm going to be talking (laughs) about among several things is when we were doing dark skies, uh, my partner and I were approached by people, very impressive people who said they were with the office of Naval intelligence and they wanted to work with us to get their ideas into our TV series. It was a wild meeting, Uh, and I just sat with my partner, Brent Friedman yesterday for a few hours where we went through all the details of it to refresh our memory. And, and I have written it all down and I am ready to tell the story as it's never been told before. Super, super exciting. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's so funny. That felt like we talked for 30 seconds and nearly an hour went by in a flash. I always have a great time on your show. Thank you, Alejandro. And I will see you in Phoenix. And if anybody else can get their spouses to let them go listen to me (laughs) Valentine's Day, I encourage them. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Bryce Abel for being on the show. And I do apologize for the audio uh, little issues there with my end of things. It's just uh, I've got so much going on. I'm hooking stuff up and I'm taking things apart and I'm moving them here and there to get ready for the conference. And actually, this computer that I'm using right now is the computer that most of the speakers will use to project their lectures. So uh, I've been doing a lot of testing with that. So those are my excuses for the audio issues. Uh, but of course, Bryce sounded wonderful, which is great. And so did Martin at the beginning of the show. So thank you so much for Bryce uh, being on the show. Uh, I hope you're able to come to the conference and check out his talk. He's going to be at the end of the first day, which is great because his energy is going to take us into the banquet of the first night, which is to meet the speakers and is always a ton of fun. We do door prizes. Of course, I I joke around and make fun of of myself and others. Um, No, just kidding. But I do try to crack some jokes and there's usually some chuckles, but that's because they just want to win the door prizes, I think, more than anything. But it's a ton, a ton of fun. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to see you there. Otherwise, thank you so much to Martin for joining us with the news. Remember at openminds.tv. TV. You could see all of those news uh, pieces that we talked about. And then UFOcongress.com to come to the Congress. I won't be able to talk to you for the next couple of weeks because I'll be busy with the Congress. But of course, Bryce is going to be there. Martin's going to be there. Karen's going to be there. And I'm going to be there and many other great people. So go to UFOcongress.com to check out who's going to be there. You can get tickets up until this weekend at the website. Otherwise, you can buy tickets at the door. I hope to see you there, ufocongress.com. You all have a wonderful couple weeks. I'm going to miss you, and we'll talk to you soon. Until then, adios, muchachos.